Welcome to Discover Indie Film. I'm Jeff Howard, and I'm very honored to have Tatiana Blackington-James here. Hey. Hello, Jeff, on this rainy day. Yes, it is raining, which is kind of extra fun, right? I don't I like rain, not just because it forces me to just stay inside a little more. Well, hey, Tatiana's here. We just discussed her her life and her film homologies and her career as a writer. Uh, that's the podcast before this one. So you should definitely check it out. You want to see her film homologies, which is still on the festival circuit. So there'll be clickable links and stuff. But this podcast, instead of being an interview, this will be Tatiana answering the Discover Indie Film 4 questions, which are name three favorite films, name an underrated film, name an overrated film, name a lesser known film people should seek out. Just four simple questions. Hey, you know, it's just fun to like get started. It took me a long time like to make sure people understood like just name three favorites, you know, it don't have to be like your top three of all time. You never know. I know it's really a lot of pressure to come up with like a top three. No, this was my favorite homework assignment ever. Nice. Well, you want to just jump in and answer? Yeah, it was so interesting because I did at one point have this feeling like, oh, well, the films that I picked are like maybe not arty enough or maybe they're not on the list of like 100 best films. And um, I started thinking about this Umberto Eco essay that I reread every few years, and it's on Casablanca. And he says, you know, by a lot of objective measures, Casablanca is not a great film, but it's a cult film. Um, It's one of my top three films. And... um, But even the screenwriter, Julius Epstein, said, like, there's more corn in this script than the state of Kansas. I mean, it it, the story of how the film came together was, uh, I I think, somewhat chaotic and they didn't know what the ending was going to be. And they wrote a few different endings. Um, And Echo says, the way you know it doesn't know what film it's supposed to be is that every time Victor Laszlo goes to the bar to order a cocktail, he gets a different one <laughs> because he doesn't know what movie he's in. Is it a is it a love triangle? Is it a war movie? Is it um, is it something else? And uh, I realized in doing this homework assignment that all of my favorite films are this kind of hodgepodge, this mix of high and low. Uh, And then I thought, maybe that's the way cinema is supposed to be, at least for me. Um, Maybe there's not supposed to be this red line between high art and low. I think that's what's wonderful about cinema. Um... And it's not just Casablanca. I mean, so my other two are Blade Runner, which is also a real mix of, you know, it's a, it's kind of a formulaic noir detective story, but it's also sci-fi. It's dystopian and utopian in a way. Um, And... 
I, you know, I really enjoy naturalistic films too, like Mike Lee's work. But those aren't the films that just really grab me emotionally and that stick with me and that I could watch over and over. And I think the ones that do fall into this Umberto Eco category. <laughs> the the um, title of his essay is The Clichés Are Having a Ball, which is sort of pejorative, but he's not really talking about clichés so much as archetypes. That um, archetypes are what we really gravitate towards in the movies we love. And um, my, my third is the movie Diva by Jean-Jacques Benex. And that one inspired me to basically become the world's biggest Francophile. I became a French major because of that movie. I went to live in Paris because of that movie. I became a screenwriter because of that movie. And, um, you know, high-low, again, it starts with an opera singer singing an aria. And then a little while later, we have a car chase. It's, it's a total genre hodgepodge. And people didn't know what to do with it. Um, when it first came out, it was not so much a box office failure as it just disappeared. And then... It was at this one theater, you know, in, in Saint-Germain-des-Prés, and word of mouth, people are like, you got to go see this, you got to go see this, and, and then it became a worldwide sensation. Um, so I guess I love both films and people that are difficult to categorize. And a lot of my heroes just... They didn't fit in any niche. They were, like, not quite in step with their times. Uh, whatever artistic movement was going on at the time, they were kind of not really in that category. Um, so I think that's my jam. I mean, it's a great jam. <laughs> I, mean, I, I was going to say that besides what you said about, you know, there's not a, a red line. Yeah, and, and there really shouldn't be a red line between comedy drama historical like, like it's so funny because i've loved casablanca from the first time i saw it and it's well it's at least in my top five my top three is so freaking hard well but but it's i'm always amazed by how not dated it feels to me yeah to me it feels as current as if it is happening now somehow you know even, although i i tried to get my son to watch it and he didn't he was not interested at all Interesting. Yeah. I didn't see it till college, but interesting. I mean, I saw it, I think, just on TV when I was a kid, you know, on a weekend or something. Um, and I realized the three movies I named are old. And that is because I think when when you're past your 20s, um, at least with me, things don't grab me viscerally in the same way they did when I was young. And I, I don't think it's because the quality of 
movies has declined. I just think it has to do with how impressionable we are when we're young. Yeah, and you'll see newer films. I have a couple newer ones, but by the way, by newer, like they're only 20 years old instead of 40 or 50 years old. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, what resonates with you as a young person locks in, just like everyone's favorite brand is determined in high school, isn't it? I mean... That's funny because, I mean, I... I'm a child of the 80s and I love 80s music unapologetically. Um, But it's not really what I choose to listen to except every once in a while when I'm feeling nostalgic. I mean, I... I've, I can move on with music. And, oh, good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say the funny thing is, so Diva and Blade Runner are like barely a year apart, right? As far as when they came out. Uh, let's see. I think Diva came out in 82. And I don't know when Blade Runner came out. I think Blade Runner is 81 or 2. Okay. Yeah. I could look them up, but, but yeah, like right around, which was... But anyway, I, I do appreciate you you choosing those. And I agree. Like, It's funny because a lot of people would say Blade Runner is hard sci-fi. And I guess it is. Mm-hmm. But there's so much in it about the human condition, about relationships, about technology. All, all these films. Yeah, humanity. Human beings are a little too complex to like just have simple stories. I mean, simple stories are great. But I like that you like the complexity of of humanity and of life and of storytelling. Well, in a lot of sci-fi, I think um, people don't speak uh, the way they do in real life. It's always this sort of like high-minded kind of like you're in a great hall and the king is holding forth that, you know, it's very philosophical and... But in Blade Runner, the guy's like a, you know, Harrison Ford's like this gumshoe that talks like an ordinary person. Yeah. And um, and that creates a beautiful contrast, I think. It really does. And like you said, it's it's noir, but it's futuristic, but it's current, but it also gives us a glimpse of a multicultural society that's even more blended than we are now. Like, it's it's just... Whatever it's, it's kind of a perfect film. I, the funny thing is, I've had, I've had to sit here and smile when I've had a person or two tell me on this podcast that they like Blade Runner twenty forty nine more than the first one, and I'm like, okay, I'll just lift my chin off the floor. Yeah, not <laughs> not in that category. Didn't um, work for me. You know, uh, David Peoples did not write. Uh, the the later one and I think it shows I think he's a genius screenwriter and his as you say I mean his humanity was missing from the second one for me oh I won't get into shitting on the second one I just (laughs) although amusingly okay I should let you go faster but do you have a favorite version of Blade Runner because I've seen like too many cuts. I, I like them both. I like the director's cut, and and I like the voiceover and the not voiceover. I I like it all. I like it all. Yeah. There's all right. I guess I I I was cheesy. I do have one, but I don't think you can see it. Oh. Which is when I was in college, 
they released a director's cut that wasn't Ridley's. Like the studio just put out one that sort of fixed the ending, I think. Well, they got rid of the voiceover at the end, I think. I forget what was different, but they released that in theaters. And then when Ridley Scott saw that, he said, wait a minute, I want to do my real director's cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, actually, there was that middle one that I think disappeared that I enjoyed the most. But it's all like I'm with you. Every version yeah, has been his great. His director's cut is, is quite long. But yeah. And he throws, in the, uh, he throws in the unicorn from Legend or whatever. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> anyway, brilliant film. All three films are wonderful. Although I got to, if I saw Diva, I don't remember it well enough. I got to jump back. But I totally remember when it came out. And I remember it being a really kind of a sensation, right? Like yeah. after once it clicked in with audiences. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right. Well, you want to name your underrated film? So I went back and I rewatched this yesterday (laughs) and I was like, my God, this film is bonkers. People are going to think I'm crazy when I bring it up, but I still love it, even though I now realize how bonkers it is. And it's a film from 1976 and it's Brian De Palma and it's called Obsession. Have you seen it? I haven't. Um, apparently Hitchcock was furious when it came out because he thought it was a ripoff of Vertigo. But it's so much more twisted, I think. Um, and it's Paul Schrader, you know, who wrote Taxi Driver. He's, he's the screenwriter. And the score is by Bernard Herrmann, who did all of Hitchcock's uh, movies. And it's Bernard Herrmann's favorite score that he wrote. He Bernard Herrmann loved this movie. He was madly in love with Jean-Pierre Bougeot, who plays the uh, uh, the lead, and uh, well, lead girl part, as they used to say. And um, and he actually apparently had quite a lot of input on the script. He influenced De Palma to shorten it and change the ending and said no no the movie's over here it's all done here this is the end you don't need that other part um but it uh, oh and it stars john lithgow who plays a southerner with like this absolute foghorn leghorn accent <laughs> and he's just he's so good um i've never not loved john lithgow in anything agreed um and every shot is just a painting. Um, parts of it are shot in Florence and in uh, a town in Tuscany called San Gimignano, um, which if you ever go there, they have a, a museum of torture, which is also quite twisted. It's good to check out. It's the, the history of torture devices. Um, that has nothing to do with the movie, except it's twisted also. But... Um, it's, you know, this movie is, it's overwrought, it's super Freudian, it's kind of operatic, um, but the shots are so beautiful and the actors are so great that you just go with it. At least I did. And um, it... Uh, it has these scenes that I think if I were a screenwriting teacher, I would bring to class to say, okay, 
see this, like, this is how you make a scene do double duty. Um, see this, this is how you add tension. Um, like, there's this wonderful scene where... So it's, it's about a kidnapping, right? Cliff Robertson is, um, is this kind of upstanding, loving husband, and his wife and daughter get kidnapped. And um, he's told, it, it's set in New Orleans, and he's told he has to get on one of these, um, is it like a steamboat, the one with the, the wheel that churns the water? Is that what you call it? Yeah. On the Mississippi, he has, to, he has to get on one of these boats, and he has to throw a suitcase of money onto an abandoned dock. And so... He um, he has this suitcase and he and he gets on the boat, and all the other passengers on the boat are Boy Scouts on an outing, and they're they're about like ten or eleven years old. All these Boy Scouts in their uniforms, and and they're so excited to be on a field trip, and they're running around and laughing and talking and. And here's Cliff Robertson, you know, stone-faced, um, worried about the life of his wife and daughter. And, and just having those Boy Scouts on the boat adds so much tension to the scene. Um, and there are lots of little, just brilliant filmmaking touches in it. For sure. I, well, now I really want to see it. I, can't, I don't think I saw it. And I had a little De Palma phase, right? Because... I remember when we all got into like body double and yeah. some other stuff. But yeah. Okay, cool. Very good. Certainly underrated. And it's and it's totally what do you say? It's totally um bizarre? Or it has no, you had you used a different adjective. Well, it's it's um I think operatic is the best. Yeah, well, it is I right. Mean, he was, he was, a, he was a very. I mean, the Hitchcock influences were always there. Yeah, in his work, probably I mean, forever. It's, it's very spare. There's no extra dialogue at all. It is not a talky film, so it's not operatic in that sense. But just in in terms of the. Um, like it has elements of Greek tragedy. Again, it's it's sort of it's sort of a high low mashup. I would say. Um, I mean, all his stuff, I think, was always a bit high low, right? Yeah. Because yeah, he gets into really schlocky material, and then he, but then he's very high handed or very cultural. Yeah. No, I, I get it. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna move you along because I'm I'm very excited to hear your overrated film. Okay, um, like I told you uh, when we were chatting before this, I don't trash other filmmakers or artists, but I kind of feel like this one is so um, punching up that I'm entitled, and it's Titanic. Um, <laughs> I went to see Titanic with a friend opening weekend. And at the end, we turned to each other and we we're like, poor James Cameron. That's really going to bomb. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you thought it, no, it wouldn't resonate with anybody? No, 
it wasn't just, the sensation we yet. We thought it was terrible and ridiculous and so simplistic and like the class warfare thing. And, um, but what I really didn't like about it was I write a lot of historical fiction and, and believe me, I take like a lot of liberties. I do composite characters. I, I mess with, with the timeline but one thing I really try not to do is to slander people who actually lived. Um, and he really did that. You know, I mean, he took people who had been heroic and self-sacrificing and turned them into villains just because they were rich or like he needed more conflict or so he thought. And... Like, these were real people that lived not that long ago, and they have descendants, and I, I just thought that was kind of a shitty thing to do. I'm with you. <laughs> I mean, uh, I haven't seen it since I saw it in Westwood, like, when it came out. Yeah. But I, it definitely was already, I saw it a couple weeks into the sensation. I think it was already, like, the biggest movie ever. By the time I saw it, I tend not to want to see those movies. Yeah. But I get it. I get why people loved it, but I don't know. <laughs> Fair enough. You are allowed to punch up. All right. And as I often say, I didn't even have to say it for you, but I'll, I often say, like, just because someone, just because you're saying a film is overrated, you're just saying the critical praise is undes like, like for me, it's often a film I love. But I'm like, I love that film, but that filmmaker has five that are better. And why does everyone praise the one that's like their fifth best? But oh, anyway. yeah. Well, I may not have totally understood the assignment. And No, and no, no. You got I it perfectly. I actually don't know what the critical reaction to it was. I don't remember. Well, it was nominated for best. Did it win best picture? It might have. Oh, God. I hope not. It but- was nominated for shit. It was, it was pretty... You know, now maybe in retrospect, people, but I think people, it's, it's a. But audiences loved it. It was huge. Overrated in that sense. Huge. They're all wrong and I'm right. Yes. (laughs) I totally agree. I totally agree. All right. Last one. And you've actually, in a way, it's funny because Diva almost covers it. But what's a lesser known film that people should seek out? Um, This is one that I saw on a plane. And it's more recent, um, so you can, you know, it's just like two years old or something. It's a German film, and it's called I'm Your Man. Have you seen it? No. And um, it's about uh, AI. So uh, it, it stars Dan Stevens from Downton Abbey. He, pl- he played Matthew and Sandra Huller from Anatomy of a Fall. She's the main character, and he's the, the AI robot. And it's a love story. Um, and it's just really a great script. And we always mention the writer, don't we? Um, so the, the credited writers are Maria Schrader, the director, but also Jan Schomburg. Uh, my German is not good at all, so I, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, based on a short story by Emma Breslovsky. I'm your man. Now I'm wondering if I did, I, I, I may or may not live with a huge fan of that actor. 
Oh, Dan Stevens? Dan yeah. Stevens is, is, he's pretty dreamy. He is very dreamy. Yeah, yeah. I get it. It's cool. And apparently he speaks fluent German. Yeah. Yeah. The German-British connection is way tighter than people, you know, I think those world wars kind of threw us off of the German-Jewish connection, but they're actually, they're really connected. I said German-Jewish. German-British connection. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, they're actually really tight. I mean, they share royal families and shit. Yes, they do. In fact, all the royals are German, aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Go figure. All right. Well, excellent list. And gives me homework. I definitely got to see. If I didn't see I'm Your Man, now I got to. And I got to revisit Diva. And Obsession. And I'll continue to avoid rewatching Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) Also, I'm not a fan of Celine Dion. What can I say? I can't can't get her. You say the word Titanic and I start hearing her voice. Yeah. Isn't that weird? Yeah, me too. You know, I'm with you. All right. Well, hey, we can wrap it up. Thank you for the best homework assignment ever. So fun. Excellent. Thank you. That's such a nice reaction because half the time people sit down in front of that microphone and go, this was so hard. I hated doing this. Why do I have to do this? And I'm like, you don't have to, but it's kind of fun. It's fun. Or they say, can I, can I have more? Can I have five? Can I have and ten? Actually, and you can. <laughs> and, and, and I'm like, you want to name two more? Name two more. I'm not going to stop you. You know, it's favorites. It's funny because there's a filmmaker actually based in France, and he wanted to interview me for the 100th episode. Uh-huh. We never got our act together. So actually, if someone goes deep on this podcast, it goes from 99 to 101 because I had saved number 100 for him to interview me. And I was like, well, if I'm answering it, maybe I'll do three, three favorites, high school, college, twi- like, I, like I was going to do like every decade of my life when my three favorite films are from that decade. Uh-huh. Because, yeah, I have a hard time, too. Like, how do I pick favorites? But Oh, you well, you have to be interviewed. That would be so good. It'd be fun, right? How come it never happened? Oh, because he's super ta- a super talented um, digital artist who does like Evian commercials and things for the United Arab Emirates. And he's just, he just works too hard Mm. and never got around to it. My kids are obsessed with this YouTuber named Caleb Hammer. Do you know who Caleb Hammer is? I I barely know what YouTube is. He, um, he, I guess he's like, I don't know if he's a millennial or Gen Z. He's about 30. But anyway, he gives financial advice to people who've gotten themselves into debt. And he he does these financial audits, and um, he's always you know shaming them for uh, usually for buying taquitos. He's he's based in Austin. Go through their credit card bill, going taquitos, taquitos, taquitos. But then one day he had a financial audit of his own. He went to like another person like him, another YouTuber like him, and got his own self audited. And wouldn't you know? He broke a lot of his own rules, just like you did with the adding the films. Oh, I will! I will totally break my own rules, <laughs> or I'll be or I'll be loyal. It's up to the interviewer. It's funny every once in a while. <laughs> Jean Marie apologize to you, but every once in a while I think of like auctioning it off. Say, okay, who wants who wants to take the lovely uh, Jean Marie Marbach's? place it was his idea to interview me 
but he has had three years and we haven't done it. Every once in a while, we, 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 we message each other about doing it. It just doesn't happen. Well, I might steal his job if he doesn't get on it. Feel free. Feel free. Anyway, I could just do a whole nother podcast where everyone... <laughs> All right, I'll shut up. I'll shut up so we can, we can wrap this up. It's always nice to get these four questions done in about half an hour. And we're right at 28 minutes. We're perfect. We're perfect. This is perfect for the people with shorter attention spans. All right, well, you just listened to Tatiana Blackington James, which I didn't say in the first thing, but I love your name. I think your name is so cool. Like, Thank you. People used to ask me if I had made it up when I first moved here, but I swear I didn't. My mother made it up. And, and Blackington James, you grew up Blackington, or are you Blackington so, t- and James Tatiana, came from marriage? Tatiana Blackington is my maiden name, and uh, James is my married name. Right, but they, man, what, what a nice flow. It's got a nice flow. You, you married well for, for name-wise. And, uh, and otherwise, too. Uh, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Actually, he's a very handsome man. He came to the festival, and I was like, hey, nice-looking guy. Anyway, I, uh, you can let him know I, I was struck by his, his looks. He has a reason to listen to this podcast now. He does. That's from a fellow... Well, whatever. <laughs> is, it, is it cheesy to say, like, from one straight man to another, I think you're handsome? No, I think that's cool. Yeah. There we go. All right. Well, you can learn about Tatiana and her film if you go to homologiesshortfilm.com, and it's at homologiesshortfilm on social media. And now it's time for me to just blab about the shit I do. This is the Discovery Indie Film Podcast. It gave birth to a TV series. If you want to learn more about either, go to discoverindiefilm.com. It's at D-I-F wins on social media. That TV series I casually mentioned, it's on Amazon Prime Video. It's short films handpicked from the festival circuit. The podcast gave birth to it because people kept coming on the podcast. And everyone who had a feature was on streaming. And everyone who had a short was like, well, it's on YouTube now. <laughs> so I said, wait, let's put a bunch of shorts together and put them on Amazon Prime Video Direct. And it worked. It was awesome. And I won't go on any further. But at DIF wins social media. Tatiana's Film Homologies won two awards at the Sherman Oaks Film Festival that we hold at the end of every November. You can learn more at ShermanOaksFF.com and it's at ShermanOaksFF on social media. It's Sister Festival, Film Invasion Los Angeles. We hold every June. That's FilmInvasionLA.com and it's at FilmInvasionLA on social media. And finally... Because I have no respect for my personal time, uh, last year I started a thing called TV High. It's a smart TV app on on Roku, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Android TV, iPhone, and Android Mobile. And uh, it's awesome films that are just great to watch. And it's called, and the website is watchtvhigh.com because they're awesome and they're also extra good to watch if you use cannabis responsibly. That's why it's called Watch TV High. (laughs) Okay. But amusingly, I've had people say to me, aren't all films better if you... And I say use it responsibly because I have friends in recovery, but... Oh, God, there there are probably some films you should not watch high. There are a lot of films. David Cronenberg, I don't think you want to go there. I do not. I am definitely... I've learned to appreciate horror because... Ever since the kid turned 13 and went to a went to a sleepover, she came back and said, I only watch horror movies now. <laughs> so, like, actually during COVID, every Friday, I told her, okay, Friday and Saturday are horror night. 
will watch two horror films every weekend. But I'm not going to watch horror seven days a week. <laughs> oh, I couldn't do it. But I've learned to appreciate horror through her. But yeah, if when I am enjoying what I consider responsible cannabis use in a, in a place where it's legal for someone my age, I can tell you the first thing, I do not want to watch horror when I'm high. I want comedy or something really beautiful and artsy. I really love the beautiful artsy stuff. Yeah. But I really love comedy, stand-up comedy too. Sometimes I just say, is that the funniest person who ever lived? <laughs> or is it because the edibles have kicked in? Anyway, I'll shut the fuck up now. Tatiana, thank you for coming over. Jeff, it was such a great way to spend a rainy day. It is. I, the, when the rain really hit like five minutes ago, I'm like, ooh, I wonder if the mics are picking up that rain. All right. Thank you, Tatiana. And thank you, everyone, for listening. <laughs>